Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about nutrient deficiencies in various crops. If you've got any questions, you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia or Brian Hefty. I expect we'll be joined by my brother Darren here a little bit later in the show. I, I, I literally just ran into the studio as we were about to get started here. I'm just so excited about this upcoming year. I was working on a bunch of things for 2024. We've been basically scouring the industry trying to find out what we can learn about seed prices, chemical prices, rebate programs, fertility, not only pricing, but programs, software, things like that that can make things a little easier on the farm. And I'm just, like I say, I'm just super excited for 2024. And you might say, well, we we, we aren't even done with 2023's crop yet. I know, I get that. We just got a great big rain over the weekend where I, I, I think on our farm, we got about as much rain over the weekend as we got from the time the snow melted until this weekend. So we get about three and a half inches of rain, depends on uh, depends on the field and stuff. But, I mean, we'd been seeing nutrient deficiencies in a lot of fields around the country, and we wanted to talk about that just a little bit today. So anyway, I'll uh, get my brother Darren on here in just a second too. But I, I just wanted to say with nutrient deficiencies, by the time you see them, out in the field, you've already lost a whole bunch of yield. It's, I, I, I don't want to say it's too late because you can still impact yield positively for this year if you're early enough. But boy, by the time you get to this date, and we're almost mid-August here, and it's very late in the season for you, there, there's not a lot you can do at that point. But Darren, I, I assume when you've been out in fields now, and especially in cornfields, because it seems like that shows up much quicker and easier, I'm guessing you've seen a lot of nitrogen and potassium deficiencies, right? Yeah, we sure have this year. And, and some of it is drought-induced, too. And, and we talk about this a lot on our show, that you need to have a good, strong concentration if you're in dry land production in the soil because you just don't know how much moisture you're going to get. If you've got irrigation, you can control that a little bit. But we, we're seeing efficiency in areas where the potassium concentration is okay, but it's not great. And that's this is one of those cases where great fertility is definitely going to stand out. And you hear a lot of farmers say that, too. The good ground is always worth the money. The marginal ground is not worth the money, and, and this is why. Well... Yeah, I, I guess you can overcome some things by over, let's put it this way. You mentioned the potassium concentration in the soil, and this is why we spend so much time talking about the base saturation percentage rather than just looking at parts per million. Because what happens is magnesium and potassium are constantly in battle. If you want to have lots more magnesium in the, in the plant, it's real easy. Cut back on your K. 
<laughs> you'll get more magnesium in, <laughs> you'll end up with less yield. But I'm just saying, the, the point is, if you don't have enough potassium out there in relation to the magnesium, you're in trouble. We've been able to prove that on our farm and others here over the last five years, the more we've been comparing soil test information to yields. But yeah, it's a really big deal. I would also say over the weekend, because of all these storms that came through, there was a lot of corn that went down. And so this morning I was talking, Darren, to our research lead, Glenn, and he was going to go out and look at some fields with some guys. And I just said, well, just make sure that from the worst area of the lodging that you pull soil tests, because my assumption is there's not enough K in that soil. That's what we see 99% of the time. You got to get enough K and not just parts per million, but in relation to the magnesium and the other nutrients in the soil. So you can't just look at parts per million. You have to look at base saturation also. But when you say it's drought-induced, the, the, the point is potassium goes into that plant with water. And if you're short on water, less potassium is going to get in. So a lot of people say, well, there was nothing I could do. I don't have irrigation, so I just I, nothing I could do. Yeah, there is. You get more potassium in the field. Instead of 4% base saturation potassium, how about 5%? Why, why can't you do 6%? You can, and then that helps you overcome those drought situations. The other thing that you can do if you're really worried, let's say you have some kind of marginal ground like you were talking about, Darren, cut back on your planting population. Then each plant will get more K in it. So anyway, yeah, I, it, it, it's interesting some of the, the things that we've learned here over the last few years and how you can overcome these, these drought situations. But is there anything else you've seen this summer, because you've walked in a lot of fields, corn and beans and other crops, uh, in terms of nutrient deficiencies that people are talking about or something we need to make sure people are aware of? Well, sulfur, Brian, is another one where we've just seen so many farmers that have started to up their sulfur program and they've seen great results in the field. This is one where uh, if you're not testing for sulfur, if you're not watching that, uh, it's not like it's going to leach away on a drought year, but if you never had any out there to start with, you certainly don't have enough for your crop, and your crop needs it all the way through the season. We're seeing better efficiency with nitrogen fertilizer when we've got good amounts of sulfur in there. We're seeing better crop growth overall, and we're avoiding that the yellow on corn plants. We saw it when corn hit the rapid growth stages where we had some yellow tops out there in fields that were short of zinc or short of sulfur. Um, those things show up late in the season too with yield and just a lot of different functions that sulfur is involved in. So sulfur is another one that I'd say is probably high on a lot of people's radars. Yeah, so again, if, you're, if you see a sulfur deficiency, that will be at the top of the plant because sulfur is mobile inside that plant, whereas potassium, nitrogen, phosphorus, they're not. Or, or, sorry, flip that around. Sulfur is not mobile. Nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus are mobile. So, in other words, by mobile, what we mean is the plant robs it from the lower leaves, which is why with NP and K deficiencies, you see the deficiency in the lower leaves, whereas sulfur deficiency will show up at the top of the plant since it's not mobile. We'll talk more about nutrient deficiencies next. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. 
Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about nutrient deficiencies in various crops. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. Our first guest on today's show is our friend Bill Brush. He's from out in California. He's a consultant out there. Hey, Bill, how are you doing today? Good, Brian. How is everything back there? Well, uh, it's been super dry this summer, and we just got a whole bunch of rain over the weekend. A little late for a bunch of the crops, but uh, at least for our soybeans, should help out quite a bit. Hey, we're talking about nutrient deficiencies today. I, I, I mean, this is a really big topic, obviously, but late in the season, like right now, what out in your area, what are maybe the top couple of nutrient deficiencies you're seeing and the main crops you might see those in? with the understanding that could be different than my corn and soybeans here. Yeah, what we do you know, with tree crops, we do have a lot of corn out here, most of it going to the dairy industry and silage. But what I was going to follow right behind Darren, because what I see uh, the deficiency that popped up the most, you know, we had an abnormally high rainfall. And so with that, I look at what are the nutrients that are leachable, which is sulfur, boron, and chloride. And any of your nitrogen that should have turned to nitrate, those are all leached out of the soil. So now we go back, those are going to start off being probably a little underfed. And uh, unless you're feeding something, a lot of times sulfur is the piggyback. You know, you ammonium sulfate. Well, you're doing it for the nitrogen, but you're getting the sulfur kick kind of it, by accident. Yep. Out here, we do a lot of things with, the, with potassium. We use a lot of potassium sulfate, and they're getting the sulfur behind it. But where you come back and you use a lot of murate, MOP, you don't have that sulfur. 
And so we don't worry about chloride back there very much. You probably always have enough. It's always needed in small amounts anyway. So I focus in on sulfur and try to find some place that it fits into the grower's program. Because when we see it, it always shows up like most people think, ah, it's just not the right color. You know, it doesn't look right. And so they're putting more nitrogen on with the idea that that's what they need to green it up and get to the color they want to. But instead, that sulfur is about a 10% efficiency. So if you put on 100 pounds without it, you could put on 90 pounds with it, and you would get just as much nitrogen in the plant. And so that's my number one deficiency I usually see because people don't, when weather changes, sometimes your deficiencies pop up like that. The second thing that I look at a lot is is potassium, and and I and golly, the, one of the main reasons we just don't have enough potassium is to flat the price of it. How can we afford to put as much on, and how, what's the bare minimum we can do to keep our budget in line? Yep. But one of the things that happens, particularly, it's a real stress reliever. Plants go into deep stress if they're low of potassium. They go into deep, deep stress. And so it's a really beneficial for things when they get in stressful conditions. Not only like you were talking about it, keeping stock strength, uh, but on stock strength, when you see it go down, you, m- you might find some things. And, and the second most important thing that you find in stock strength is manganese because it's essential for a, you know an enzyme that you need to produce lignin. Obviously, that's what's going to hold that plant up. And then last, of course, would be copper because it gives you resiliency or allows your plant to bend but not break. Those are the things I look at, you know, on field crops. But on tree crops, it's kind of the same thing. If you're low of potassium and you load a crop up there, what's going to be the cell wall strength to hold it up if you don't have potassium? And you have more broken limbs. You have more trees that are going over. You have more things breaking. And those are never good when you open up trees to in, infection or, you know, any kind of pathogen that can get into those broken spots. Talk to us more about trees, because even though for farmers here in the Midwest, we aren't tree producers for, you know, any kind of crop like almonds or anything like you do out in California, uh, everybody here has a shelter belt. Everybody wants their trees to do well. We all take pride in our trees around our farmyards, and we want them to live so what what are the biggest nutrients that you're usually talking to those those people about? Because it is different than corn and soybeans. It is to a certain point, but what you want is good rooting, which is a function of phosphate. You always have to do nitrogen because nitrogen isn't what hangs around. It's what's going to leach through eventually. So you, you're always going to have, have a nitrogen program in place. But getting them well-rooted, particularly when they're young, and, and one of the things that a little test you can look at is look at the leaf structure. And if that leaf seems to be pinched or not as large as you'd like to see it, normally that means you're starving it a little bit for phosphate. It's kind of a, a tough deal because when you do a leaf analysis, which you may not do on those trees, but say out here, you'll find that it'll say it's okay or satisfactory. But in effect, the plant itself regulated itself to have smaller leaves to shut down photosynthesis. The bigger the leaves, the more photosynthesis is going to take place, and you have to be able to get you know energy down to the roots to pull in more nutrients. Well, it can't get enough phosphate, so it has to slow down. And the way it slows down, it slows down respiration by making smaller leaf surface so that, that photosynthesis is not as great. 
Well, that that harks that it, you know, makes the roots uh, less viable because that's that photosynthesis going down to the roots to restore them, give it energy, and also give energy to the rest of the plant. So then after that, K is really important to give your trunk and also your uh, your structure of your your limbs and everything to give it strength. It basically gives you cell wall strength. So potassium is always a big issue. One of the things that I learned from Neil Kinsey a long time ago too is that if you can keep sulfur in your soil up about, you know, 50 parts per million, 100 pounds per acre, something like that, your diameter as you're growing a tree will be about one and a half times what it would have been if you hadn't had it. So if it's an inch, it'll be an inch and a half, inch and a half. If it's two inches, it'll be three inches. And diameter is a huge effect on, on how big that trunk will be. So sulfur and nitrogen should be really tied together. Then outside of that, it, it, hopefully you got enough micros. I, you know, when you talk about deficiency, one of the things about micros is because they're micros, a lot of what you can do can be done foliar. And, and it won't fix anything but you can effectively do a pretty good job of keeping in balance with what they can get out of the soil and that. If they're totally devoid of that, and if you had a soil sample that said that, then you're going to work on the weakest one first. When you get it in pretty good shape, you bring the rest along and try to get that lowest stave in the barrel to get up. Whether you're growing it for shade or whether you're growing it for production, you're still looking to do the same thing. Hey, Bill, we've only got about a minute left, but I want to come back to, you mentioned phosphorus for the trees. How do you get that down in the ground so the trees get to use it when phosphorus is pretty immobile in soil? Yeah, one of the things, well, there's two two ways. One is, uh, you know, you put it on, you know, and, and get your parts, you know, your pounds per acre up, you know, above 500 pounds per acre that we get on our soil test. And the other way is to use a lot of, there, there's so many good products out there now that are chelated that don't really break down and don't really tie up. They're basically broken down by microbial activity and making that available to the roots. So you can really supplement what your soil phosphate is with just a little bit of these products. Several good companies, I, I tend not to, uh, to, you know, put my name to any company. I've always been try to keep pure of that. But one thing is, is that stuff really works really well. Um, they work really good as starters too, uh, you know, and, and that's another good way to get things into crops courses, starter fertilizer. The sooner you get it in too, the better on P always, because you get root stimulation by once it gets some P and that just stimulates it to root flush more. And the more it can get into, the more it's going to run out and increase the root mass. Bill, this is great stuff. We always love having you on the show. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Again, that's Bill Brush from out in California. Bill, thanks for the time today. You bet. Hope to see you guys soon. You bet. All right, again, we're talking about nutrient deficiencies in various crops, and I don't know if you picked that up. What Bill said there is raising parts per million on phosphorus. <laughs> 500 pounds per acre is 250 parts per million. Now, are we ta- commonly talking that high a level for like corn or soybeans or anything else? No. But what he was saying is to get it down in the ground, and we have found this to be true, that's where phosphorus can become basically a little bit more mobile is when the parts per million or pounds per acre get really high. So if you have to do it in a small area, that's certainly possible. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. 
experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. The hard-working independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. And Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start your engines! Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're talking nutrient deficiencies in various crops. And next on the show, we got Charlie White with us. He's with Penn State University. Hey, Charlie, how are things out in Pennsylvania today? Great. They're doing very well. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. So we're talking fertility and nutrient deficiencies. So in your area, what are the top crops and the top nutrient deficiencies that you're usually talking to farmers about? Sure. Well, um, on the grain side of things, our top crops are going to be corn and soybeans, um, but we're also a very forage-heavy state, uh, especially with the dairy industry here. So we've got uh, quite a bit of hay, whether that's pure alfalfa or an alfalfa grass mix or, or just uh, pure grass hay. Um, so those are the, the main agronomic crops we're dealing with. And 
I'd say across both of those, the major deficiencies that I tend to see uh, popping up uh, will be nitrogen and potassium. All right. You mentioned the different hay for forage. And I, I want to get into that just a little bit because we get so many questions about this grass and alfalfa mix. And as an agronomist, I got to be honest, I hate it because they're two totally different crops and I have a really tough time killing the weeds. And you just, you kind of have to manage them differently. I, I would like to manage them differently, but I've got a broadleaf crop in alfalfa and then I have grass out there. It's all together. What are the biggest things in terms of how you manage that nutrient-wise compared to if you had alfalfa separate or grass separate? Yeah, sure. It's It can certainly be a challenge on the nutrient side as well as other aspects like you mentioned. You know, the, the challenge on the nutrient side, one would be managing the nitrogen. Um, and, you know, with a, a mix that's roughly 50-50 uh, alfalfa and grass, Yep. Um, the grass can survive on the nitrogen that's kind of transferred from the alfalfa in the rhizosphere. Some of that fixed nitrogen mm -hmm. um, that the alfalfa creates can, can feed that grass, and some of the residues that the alfalfa turns over can feed that grass. Um, so it doesn't strictly need nitrogen, and when you do apply nitrogen, it can kind of shift the balance, right? It really stimulates the grass, and too much nitrogen can kind of make the grass outcompete the alfalfa, and then maybe you lose, you know, whatever it is that you desired to have that mix to begin with, it, it can shift a little bit. Um, so that can be tricky, and even though it doesn't necessarily need nitrogen, a lot of farmers still need lands who utilize their manure on, and that right. manure is going to contain nitrogen. So uh, that can be a little bit tricky. All right. As far as potassium, you mentioned potassium here. Are you seeing issues pretty much in all crops, or is it just the corn and soybeans? Well, it can be in all crops, and um, actually with the forage crops, they are such heavy removers of potassium. That's yep. one of the unique things about forage is most of that potassium is contained in the leaves and the stems. So if, you grow, if you've got hay crops in rotation or if you're growing corn silage versus corn grain, those hay and silage crops are really going to pull off a lot more potassium, and you're, they're going to demand a lot more returned back, whether that's through manures or, or fertilizers. So we, we do see potassium shortages uh, across all of our different crop types. So what are you looking for when it comes to that potassium? Is there, so like for us, we talk often about base saturation. Um, are, you, are you also looking at parts per million along with that in relation to whatever crop you're raising? So just tell us a little bit about what you would normally recommend to a farmer or an agronomist when you realize, hey, we're short on K here. What, what should we do about it? Yeah, exactly. Well, I really look at both of the parts per million and the base saturation, and, and those two numbers are kind of linked through the cation exchange capacity of the soil. You can convert one to the other, and unless you're really looking at uh, soils with vastly different um, cation exchange capacities, then it's okay to use either or. In Pennsylvania, we kind of have a narrow range of CEC between 8 and 14 or so, um, so we look at parts per million on Melic 3 extraction. We, we try and get a minimum of 100 parts per million. Um, but I, I really like to see that pushed up a little higher, 125. 
150 would would give me a little bit of uh, measurement of safety. One of the things with letting it ride down at that 100 parts per million at the bottom end of the optimum range is that's the average of a field, right? The, the average is you're going to have some parts that are above average, some parts that are below average, and those below average parts of the field, um, you know, might might suffer. And so I like to bring the whole average up a little bit above that um, critical level of 100 parts per million. There are a lot of people that will use potash to get their big levels of, or the, to fertilize for the big levels that they really need for an, a great alfalfa crop or great corn crop, whatever. But there are also a lot of people that talk about potassium sulfate. Do you have many people doing potassium sulfate, and have you seen any difference between the potassium chloride of potash and potassium sulfate? Sure. Well, in my area, potassium sulfate is certainly a lot more expensive than yep. um, just plain potash. Um, and so you really have to think, okay, what is the need for sulfur um, in my system? Uh, the other thing I see with potassium sulfate is that it doesn't dissolve as quickly. I mean, I can come back a month later and still see the granules of, of potassium sulfate uh, on the soil surface. And so to me, if I'm looking for um, to kind of meet the immediate need of the crop, um, that, that kind of bothers me. Um, so uh, I, I really don't tend to recommend potassium sulfate uh, on a wide basis. It would really be kind of a very unique concern where sulfur was necessary um, as, as part of the, the picture. How about micronutrients? We've talked about nitrogen and potassium so far, but are there any micronutrient deficiencies that really stand out for you? Well, in, in Pennsylvania, we're lucky that um, our soils tend to run a little bit acidic, and um, that really helps with increasing micronutrient availability um, to have, have your soils be a little bit acidic. Yep. Now, certainly other parts of the country that where the soils tend to run more alkaline, you certainly do start to run into issues of things like iron, zinc, manganese uh, becoming less available. Um, and in that case, uh, you do need to think about some micronutrients, whether that's applied a little bit uh, at planting with some starter fertilizers or an occasional foliar application um, to you know, maybe correct a deficiency that you see in a field in a, a particular year. You mentioned dairies out there, and I don't know what they use for rations out there, but I know here we run into phosphorus issues in that if I get manure, which we do from a dairy on lots of acres, uh, we might be able to get enough nitrogen. We should be able to get enough potassium for the year, but we definitely will not get enough phosphorus if we're limiting ourselves on how much nitrogen or how much total manure we're putting out there. So do you have any of that kind of problem where people are trying to keep, a, let's call it a moderate level of manure application and then running into any phosphorus deficiencies? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that can that can be an issue um you know i think our our here in pennsylvania our manures run a little bit higher on phosphorus um, sure. and so we don't tend to run into to too big of an issue um in fact a lot of our soils are are have been too high in phosphorus from kind of decades of over application mm -hmm. um of of manures um so i think a lot of our soils are kind of in a, a luxury state i guess of phosphorus and could be you know could afford to have some uh, reductions in, in phosphorus inputs. But that's kind of a historical artifact of our, sure. our region here. 
Okay, so with that, the other thing that we've seen with phosphorus is phosphorus to zinc ratio. So if we don't have enough zinc in relation to the phosphorus, we have problems. Are, do you see any of that there since you're talking about such high phosphorus levels? Yeah, it, it's not widespread, um, but it did uh, happen in, uh, to one farm um, this year. We, we saw some classic zinc deficiency mm -hmm. symptoms in a soil that was very high in phosphorus, and um, when we looked at the soil test, it turned out to be relatively low in zinc, and we did some tissue testing and, and confirmed that, and the farmer put on a, a zinc foliar application. Um, so it definitely does happen. Um, I wouldn't say it's widespread. But uh, it's something to look out for. It's it's, it's very pronounced. Very you, this white striping um, throughout the plant. It definitely will you know occur early in the season. Um, you know maybe when the corn is in the V4 stage or something. So if you see some white striping on your leaves, uh, definitely it could be a zinc deficiency. Yeah, that does happen. Yeah, unfortunately we've seen far too much of that out in our region of the country. But anyway, uh, Charlie, it's been great having you on the show today. Really appreciate it. Again, this is Charlie White with Penn State University. Thanks for the time, Charlie. Great. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Have a great day. Bye. All right, stay tuned. We'll talk more about nutrient deficiencies in various crops right after this. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. Live in the Morton studio, today we're talking about nutrient deficiencies in various crops. This is a, a fun topic always just because there's so many things that are out of our control as farmers, but this one is within our control. We can manage these nutrient deficiencies. We can fertilize our soil. We can apply fertilizers. We go through the season. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this yet today. Before we get to our Ag PhD mailbag later in the show, if you've got a question for us, you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. Our next guest is Alan Perry. He's with Farm Technologies Network out in the state of Maine. Hey, Alan, how are you today? Not too bad. So we're going coast to coast today. Uh, we were California, uh, now we're Pennsylvania, and then uh, Maine. Uh, Alan, things are a lot different in Maine than many other areas in the United States. What are the the top few things you're usually talking to farmers and agronomists about uh, out there about when it comes to nutrient deficiencies? Well, certainly there are plant symptoms that we look for in certain times of year when when certain kinds of deficiencies are more likely to show up. But one of the things that's not often uh, mentioned that I think growers could use to good advantage, I know I do, uh, insects, uh, damage from insects or fungus and bacteria, those are usually your first symptoms of a mineral deficiency. And We'd love to have the plant give us a hint before that happens, but certainly uh, you should be aware that if you have insect uh, disease issues, those are mineral deficiencies as well. In terms of taking a look at soil tests, when you look at soil tests out in your state, what are maybe the, what's the number one thing that you're focused on in terms of you see it on just about everybody's test where, hey, you're short on this, you're short on this, it's the same nutrient again and again. Is there one that really stands out to you in your area? I think two that probably would uh, maybe be most hidden and most important, magnesium deficiency and sulfur deficiency. We don't concentrate too hard on sulfur. And we often use pH to regulate our liming where our magnesium comes from. So we can get behind on both of those quite a bit. West of the Mississippi, not so much on the sulfur. You, you probably have higher sulfur levels than we do. But uh, east, east of the Mississippi River, magnesium and sulfur. Yeah, we're still short a lot of times on sulfur out here, too. We don't get that free acid rain like we used to. That was fun. But anyway, uh, but back to the magnesium thing. I assume it's because you're dealing with a lot of lighter soils while you're having magnesium deficiencies? Uh, yes. Uh, exchange capacities for us uh, somewhere between 5 and 15. Yep. So we're on the sandy side of things. Uh, and high rainfall. So anything that can leach probably will over time. And then... Just the history, uh, we've been farming uh, the eastern part of the United States for a long time, and so we've taken a lot of minerals off of the crops we grow. 
All right, so other than getting magnesium out with liming, what else are you doing? What other sources are you using where you're having success? Um, specifically for magnesium, uh, Epsom salts works very, very well because it's uh, water-soluble, so we can put it in our sprayers. Uh, we have a lot of potato acreage here, and so uh, we can add that in with our fungicide program pretty easily. If I want a dry product, uh, sometimes a little bit cheaper, pound for pound, um, Sulpomag, uh, uh, SPM, can uh, give us both sulfur, magnesium, and some potassium that we need, too. How about any micronutrients? Because you mentioned two secondary nutrients there, magnesium and sulfur. Any of the micros stand out to you? Well, again, east of the Mississippi, our high rainfall, we're short of boron all the time. Um, the, as far as the growers are concerned, that's a hard one to see in the plant. Uh, and you may not be familiar with exactly what it's going to look like. Uh, when we were in Ukraine, uh, one of the first chances I had to see copper deficiency real well in the grain crops over there, um, we have some pretty high levels of copper in Maine, but certainly you can find copper deficiency. That's going to show up on the younger leaves at the top of the plant. Um, but, um, you know, there's a 17 essential minerals, and we focus on three, so... If I get to take you where uh, I want you to go, I can show you most any mineral deficiency you're looking for. All right. We haven't talked about nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus yet. As far as those nutrients go, I assume you're probably really focused on the nitrogen, the potassium, because of all the rain and the lighter soils there. So I'm guessing you have a lot of growers doing split applications with both of those nutrients? Yes, uh, though our growers like growers many places. They like quick, cheap, and easy. So we have a tendency to put a lot of our fertilizer down at planting time. It's the same process as as planting one path. So it's easy that way. Uh, The biggest issue on nitrogen is trying to figure out what the yield is going to be so that you can get that matched up. Um, And potassium is the biggest key to yield, especially on potatoes, but also on nut crops and fruit crops and some of the others as well. So you got to get some kind of balance between the potassium and nitrogen. Yeah, definitely. So basically what you're saying is if you overdo it with nitrogen and you don't have enough potassium there, you got a major issue. You have lodging problems, things like that. And the flip side, you don't have enough nitrogen to go with that potassium. You don't end up with the yield. So how do you manage that then? Because I mean, there's a lot of variability in soils, and with some of these crops that you mentioned, like especially potatoes, nuts, and fruits, I mean, it's a lot of dollars per acre. So are you going to just much smaller zones to manage that, or how are you doing it? Well, we use our yield history on a given field. We we have a sense that some fields are better than others, uh, and we have a, a kind of a, a conservative baseline yield that we're going to pick. Uh, that much nitrogen we are pretty comfortable putting on at planting. And then we start changing the form of the nitrogen so we can get some uh, short-term nitrogen and some long-term nitrogen. Uh, For us, with low pH, ammonium sulfate takes 60 days, so that's a good longer-term nitrogen for us. Uh, West of the Mississippi, that doesn't work quite the same way. Um, And then we like to look at the crop day 45 or so and get a sense of what the yield is like, what the weather's been like. And then we'll start adding that last 30% of our nitrogen um, 
as a foliar or as a side dress uh, when we've got more information to work with. Okay, so when you talk about that, though, if you're down to, let's say it's a 5 CEC, I'm guessing you have guys maybe even making multiple in-season shots of nitrogen, correct? Yes, that, those are the tougher fields to uh, maximize <laughs> yep. things. It takes more effort. Yeah, for sure. Kind of like feeding a small child. <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the crop won't be crying constantly to tell us when it's hungry again. So we got to stay on top of that. Hey, you mentioned potatoes. Talk to us more about potatoes. We don't spend enough time on that, I don't think, here on our show, just talking about the nutrient demands of potatoes. How is that different from some of the other crops that you work with? Well, uh, potassium, for one, one of the higher potassium users it's not as woody a crop as a tree crop would be, or even as corn would be, but we still need uh, 7.5% of our base saturation we'd like to have as potassium. Um, and we figure we need a pound of available potassium for every 100 pounds of yield, tubers. So 50,000 uh, pounds of tubers, that's 500 hundredweight. we got to have 500 pounds available potassium on a... 25 exchange capacity soil that's pretty doable but as as you mentioned when you get down five six seven eight tecs that gets to be more work so we're putting on potassium in the fall uh in the spring as a side dress and probably foliar feeding some more on top the only way we can get the tonnage that the growers need to make it economically viable well, when you talk about those economics, I'm assuming when you tell a guy to get that much potassium out there, you get a lot of pushback, right? Um, <laughs> you can't usually do it with some new growers the first day. Yep. <laughs> you have to kind of work your way up to it. But but uh, they learn to trust us when, when we can predict some things. And uh, they've already got some fields that are maybe a little higher exchange where they we can show them the pounds of potassium they've got there. We're yep. just trying to make the fields more equal. Yeah, so. for sure. Hey, Alan, thanks a lot for the time today. We really appreciate having you on the show. Again, that's Alan Perry with Farm Technologies Network in Maine. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The success of next year's harvest begins with this year's harvest. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. 360 Chain Roll is a simple replacement stalk roll for your corn head. Chain Roll doubles the rate of stalk breakdown. It crimps and cuts tough stalks to boost microbial activity and speed breakdown. And compared to chopping heads, it reduces emergence issues in next spring's crop. See 360 Chain Roll in action at 360yieldcenter.com. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, 
and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, joined again by my brother Darren. We're just wrapping up our show today talking about nutrient deficiencies. The, the one thing I just want to leave you with here is don't think that you are going to be able to spot nutrient deficiencies visually in your fields. And if everything looks green, everything must be fine. No, that is absolutely not true. By the time you see a nutrient deficiency, it's probably hurt 30%, 40% of your yield potential. I mean, it's massive. So what you really need to try to focus on and try to figure out is the hidden yield loss. Where do you need to place additional nutrients and how many so you don't have those things happening? Because I mean, if, if there's a 10-bushel yield loss in corn or 5-bushel yield loss in beans, you're never going to see it. No way. The, the, visually, the plant will look just the same as the other plant that yielded more. And in fact, it might be 30 or 40 bushels in corn. It might be 10 or 20 bushels in soybeans. So we're just going to encourage you, please learn how to read a soil test and do a good job with soil testing. Soil test consistently. You don't have to soil test every single year in every field. okay? But once every three or four years, you need to. And please do small grids or zones at least one time and see what the issues are out there and the variability across your field. It will make you money. And then at least use a little bit of plant tissue analysis. I'm not saying you have to use a lot. You don't have to spend tons of money on that or anything. But do it in the same spot over the course of a summer maybe 8 to 12 consecutive weeks, and then you can start to see, okay, where, where am I a little bit short here or there in terms of my overall fertility program? What else do I need to improve on? Darren, any last comments you have on nutrient deficiencies? Otherwise, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute. Uh, no, we can dive into the mailbag, but I, I was just going to say these things are not going to be across your entire field in most cases, in, in a lot of cases, areas in the field. 
as we get towards harvest here, make sure you look at your yield monitor very closely. Uh, calibrate your combines to getting accurate data, but then when you see those areas where it's dropping off and instead of 200 bushel corn, you're getting 160, ask some questions there. Do some soil sampling. This should help you figure out where those spots are at a little quicker. Yeah, and especially like this year in a drought year, a lot of people are just going to say, well, I just didn't get enough rain, and that's why this area of the field's worse than this other area. Sure, if if we all could dial up the exact right amount of rain at the exact right time, we'd all have more yield. I get that. We probably also have a lot lower crop prices, by the way. But anyway, the point here is that you look at in those areas, to Darren's point, what else is going on? Because we've had it in fields before, too, where the the past owner and even our dad said, oh, yeah, it's just that's yeah, sandy ground, whatever. Well, I'm not saying that it isn't sandy ground or at least a little bit lighter ground. But when we figured out which nutrients we needed there, we've gotten a lot better crop. And I, I mean, is it still disappointing when I get 150 bushel corn or 120 bushel corn in those areas? Yeah, it is. But that's a lot better than the 30 bushel corn we were getting before. So if you make some of these little adjustments then and, and just hit them in some of those spots that are bad, it can be big time in terms of over the over your farming career, making you some more money. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! First question comes from Randy. He says, I was wondering why overwatering causes permanent stunting and yellowing in small grains. It never seems to recover when it is over-irrigated from seedling through tillering. What's going on in the plants physiologically that prevents them from recovering? All right, so Randy... I would just say my assumption here is that when you overwater, then you get too much water, not enough air in that soil, which kills microbes and it kills roots. And once you've killed some of those roots off, I mean, sure, new roots can grow down there, but you've definitely damaged that plant. You have injured it for life. So you've knocked down your yield potential a little bit. And I guess that's what I would look at is you, you killed plants, roots early on. And again, you, you've damaged some of the soil life as well. So I think that's what's going on. Darren, do you have any other comments on that? Well, the other thing can be disease. And kind of like the nutrient deficiency discussion we just had, when you've got low levels of disease, you aren't normally going to see it and it could be impacting your plant. It's kind of like you when you feel a little off or you have a little cold starting. Uh, it's maybe 5%, 10%, and it can be the same thing with your crop. All right, next one here uh, comes from Ryan. He says, first of all, I just wanted to say we had a great time at this year's Ag PhD Field Day. It was the first year going, and our kids said it was the best day of their lives. <laughs> Ryan, thanks. Glad to hear that. Come back again next year. It's always the last Thursday in July. All right, here's his question. He says, with your fertilizer removal app, how come if you put in corn silage removal, there are no micronutrient recommendations? Uh, I, I, I just say we get our information from the International Plant Nutrition Institute. And so we, they don't always give us micronutrient information. Sometimes it's just some of the bigger ones. So I, I guess that's what I would tell you there. However, you can look at what does it take to produce corn grain, and we've got all that kind of information there. All right, his next question is, why is there such a large removal of nitrogen for alfalfa? I've been told you don't have to put any nitrogen on alfalfa. Uh, 
Ryan, we're not saying, and in that nutrient removal app, it's not saying you have to apply any of these nutrients. All it's saying is that's what it takes to produce that much in terms of tonnage or yield or whatever, bushels for any particular crop. So it could be you apply it, or it could be something like with both alfalfa and soybeans, they're able to produce a lot of their own nitrogen through uh, that that whole process where the bacteria are interacting with the plant, pulling nitrogen out of the air, converting it over into the form the plant can use. So that's what's happening there. All right, uh, we're going to get back to the phone lines here. We've got Jim calling in about kosher in wheat and wondering what to use. Hey, Jim, how are you? Hi, good, Brian. How are you? Excellent. All right, so what are you going to um, plant, uh, winter wheat here? Is that your question, or are we talking so, spring wheat? Um, I had winter wheat on it, and it, it was pretty bad kosher, and then stopped by Oneida, and we had not much rain the first few months, and then about 10 inches the next four weeks. Yep. And the kosher came, and the pigeon grass, so we had to spray it before we could combine it. And I was wondering, it's probably going to come back here. It seems to be, and it, it didn't even, we had the co-op spray it because we don't live out by there, and and I don't know if it was too far along, but it, some of it wasn't even a good kill, and some most of it was a pretty good kill, but it's probably going to come back. Well, I've heard your ad on WNX, like with Sharpen and something else, and I can't, I couldn't, I was shaving that day and should have wrote it down, but I didn't have a pen. Okay, so, uh, for, so are we talking wheat that you're going to harvest here pretty soon and you want to kill, Kosha? Are you saying for next year, what should you do? For next year, we're going to probably okay. put corn yeah, on it, yeah. Brian. Yeah, because I'm like, it's getting really late in the season. Uh, okay, so if you're going to go to corn, uh, then our number one recommendation, if you want to do the very best job possible on kosher, is I'd probably start with something like Verdict Pre-Emerge, because that's got Sharpen in it, same thing we'd recommend in wheat, along with Outlook. Mm-hmm. And if you want to bump the rate of the outlook, in other words, spike in some straight outlook or some other group 15 along with the verdict, you can. And then post-emerge status is our favorite. That's a combination of a little bit of dicamba and a lot of diflufenzapyr. It's an active ingredient that isn't used anywhere else that I know of um, in any crops. So we don't have any resistance issues with that. So those are the two things I'm doing. Status. Just use status, post-emerge. It's much more expensive than running an HPPD, though. So a lot of people will go with an HPPD like Callisto or generic or whatever, along with a little atrazine. That's the standard program to get by cheap. Mm-hmm. That's literally going to cost you like 5 bucks, and status is going to cost you about 20 So it all depends if you say, okay, I, I, it, you, you put out verdict or whatever other pre you want to use and you get post-emerge and you go, you know what? I'm just about to canopy. I don't have much for kosher. I think I'm going to get by. I'm going to try to get by cheap. I'm going to go HPPD and a little bit of atrazine or just HPPD straight maybe. Otherwise, if you say, oh my goodness, I got all kinds of kosher coming, uh, then you go with status. Hey, Jim, we got to run. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Good luck out there. Just uh, call us back anytime if you got any other questions about kosher or anything else we can help you with on the farm. Right before we go today, I just wanted to say thanks a lot to our production staff here. Had my sister Janelle producing the show and running the controls for us today. Uh, Thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions. Thanks to all our guests earlier in the show as well. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.